ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now... Where the big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This is where the big boys play, and I'm here with Brian. How are you doing, Brian? Fantastic, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Chad is not here today. It seems that we're doing, like, the smaller shows together, right? Yes, yes. Chad avoids the the side work and just likes the big ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he thinks he's a big name these days, so he's only doing the (laughs) pay-per-views. Um, Brian, do you want to explain what we're uh, what we're looking at today? Today we're going to take a uh, we're going to take a look at a show that was on TBS on uh, February seventh, nineteen eighty six. It's called Superstars on the Superstation. Uh, would have happened basically on a normal Saturday night TBS taping, six oh five Eastern for those of us uh, that that watch. I know over here, I'm, I'm not sure when um, the WCW World Championship show would have been on on your side of the pond. But I know here was a 6.05 show, like, you know, had to watch Saturday night. And this was basically just a two-hour show. But instead of their normal being in the studio, a bunch of squash matches and interviews, they basically had a show where they had the fans that could vote for some dream matches of their choices. And uh, they, they would be able to show these matches on television. Uh, I don't know how much of this was vote and how much wasn't because almost all of these matches have some sort of feud going into them. So... They were voted on. It. They kind of set it up to do the voting. So that that's I, I don't know the truth if it's a voting or not. But that that was the that was the story going in. Uh, that this was actually taped at the famous Omni in Atlanta. Um, Chad's home. Funny he's not here to hear that. Uh, the Omni and that drew about ten thousand fans to uh, to the show. And uh, I believe when it was uh, broadcast on television, it actually pulled a Nielsen rating of three point two, according to uh, our friends on Wikipedia. But uh, pretty, pretty good show. Um, I'm really excited to talk about the, the four matches that made air. But aside from that, we did have three uh, dark matches that came on beforehand. I'll just run through them real quick because really not too much going on. We had Ron Bass and uh, my man, the Barbarian, to fight to a draw. Um, I guess Ron Bass is on his way out and the Barbarian's being used in the wrong way, I would say. Yeah, you'd have thought they put the Barbarian over there. And really, it's a draw, I get it, but I don't know what their plan was. The big Baron Von Rath, he defeated the Italian Stallion. Um, say what you will there, that's a, a match. I'm sure it's somewhere somebody would say, what's the famous line? That's a match that would main event anywhere in the world. <laughs> now, Baron Von Rathke, I, I'd have thought he'd be at AWA at this time. Has he just moved? He, he, he bounces around. Like I know he's in... He's in the AWA right before this. Throughout most of 86, he is actually part of Paul Jones' army. Uh, he, he comes in there, he does a pretty good job, and that, that's kind of my first ace to see in him in the ring was in Jim Crockett in 86, and then through years of working on videos and everything, I finally learned to see him much earlier in the AWA, but even by now in 1985, he, he's, he's starting to look old, but uh, he still could talk pretty well in, in Paul Jones' army. The third dark match on this show was uh, then NWA World Television Champion Arn Anderson taking on the Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, and you'd figure world champion of some sort, get him a victory. Wrong. 
Jimmy Valiant defeated him by disqualification in this match. I really don't have much of a reason for why they would have done that. No, um, no. It just, I know Jimmy Valiant was over and they loved him, but you, you want to push one of the main horsemen and one of your main guys. I don't get that. But I, I think one of the things to remember with uh, Arn at this point is that he was still really young. Like, like you know, compared to Jimmy Valiant, who'd probably been in the game, what, 10, 15 years at this point. And this was still, yeah. Arn was pretty much a rookie at this point. Yeah, he, he'd only been around for a couple of years, that's true. But he had just, in January, I know he won the World Television Title Tournament. So it, it was strange that they would want to do this to their you know, newly crowned champion. But as, as we see later tonight, and with a lot of things, they always don't treat their champions really well in Crockett land. And, and the Horsemen were actually to, officially together by this point. You know. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I don't know the date of the famous you know, Arn Anderson interview, but... I know by now they were pretty much a, a well-oiled unit. Yeah, it was well, obviously sometime between Starcade and uh, now. Can you just remind us of the date of this show, this uh, Superstars uh, on the Superstation? Yes, this show was uh, filmed at the Omni, on, and it was actually played on TBS on the night of February 7th, 1986. Right, so, so just less than a month, uh, well, just, just about two months from Starcade. Yeah, yeah, I mean, enough time to tie up some old feuds and really, you know, get new stuff going here into the new year. And I mean, would you do you think it'd be fair to say that this was a front runner to Clash of the Champions in some ways? It, it, it really kind of is. I don't know if, like you said, Clash or if this is their first shot at starting to realize, you know, hey, you know, WWF starting to really take over on a national scale. Let's put something out there that everybody can see on our main channel TBS to kind of show the kind of good wrestling we have too, not just squash match after squash match. Like here's some really good stuff for those of you that can't see it. Yeah. And, and had, um, had Vince started with the Saturday night's main event yet by this point? Yeah, definitely. There had been, um, I believe the third one would have been actually either this same night as this show or a week later, and that would have been the show in February where King Kong Bundy attacks Hulk Hogan and puts him on the shelf to set up WrestleMania 2. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure on that same show it's like uh, probably Macho Man versus, um, uh, what's his name, George Animal Steel. Oh, yeah. All those early early enemies are are full of uh, Savage versus um, George Animal Steel matches. Where he, you know, like he eats the turnbuckle and they go into a into a commercial break, and he's still yeah. in the turnbuckle when they come back. <laughs> this matches were a crime. I mean, we we on another day we can discuss my hatred of WrestleMania two and what they could have done to that show. Well, uh, we're we're almost breaking our strict uh, no WWF discussion policy here. But, uh, yes, it's so inevitable. We'll just drop that now. <laughs> From time to time, we're going to have to, uh, you know, we'll have to mention it. So, as things start off here, we have, and I believe this is Willie Nelson on the soundtrack here, right? This is a Willie Nelson track they're playing about living in Georgia and, and whatnot. I wasn't familiar with the song. On a rainy, windy morning, on the day that I was born, in that old sharecrop in one room country shack. They said my mammy left me the day before she had me, said she hit the road and never once looked back. 
We're treated to shots of Magnum TA on a motorbike going through the streets with a pair of shades on, with um, with this song about how much uh, you know the, the singer loves Georgia playing on the top of it. Were you familiar with this track, uh, Brian? Absolutely not. I uh, I'm not a country music fan. I never have been, and I, I honestly. I could have heard that song then, now, and ten times in between. I never would have known what it was because I just, I, and anybody that hears this and likes country music, I'm sorry you like it. I don't understand it. I have reason to believe that's Willie Nelson. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, it is Willie Nelson. It's definitely Willie Nelson. They end up interviewing him later on (laughs) on the show, but I I just don't know the song or him or anything like that. I mean, I know who he is, but it's, I couldn't tell you outside of maybe a couple of Willie Nelson songs, anything he's ever made. I, and I, I quite enjoyed this opening, like watching Magnum TA in shades on a on a uh, on a motorcycle. And I just, I was just thinking. I mean, um, thinking of those Saturday Night Main Event shows and thinking of the way that this is presented, it was clear to me that the NWA was kind of going for an older audience, like, um, you know, where where the appeal of Hulk Hogan was was basically for kids. I'm pretty sure that this product was being targeted at adult men. Would you agree with that? Or yeah, I, I definitely would. It's definitely a more adult product. Plus, you know, their their focus is wrestling. I mean, you hear so many interviews these guys cut during this time too. They weren't about the entertainment and the the outside, you know, big spectacle of things. They were about in ring action and promoting the guys they have and kind of as real human beings, like Magnum TA, riding around on a motorcycle like anybody else would. <laughs> um. So obviously, uh, Magnum is not—he's um, not injured yet, um, and he is in fact our host for this show. He, he introduces things, and he's with a—he's um, with a woman called Linda Curry. Um, I have no idea who Linda Curry is. Is she famous uh, stateside or? or you know what? I never even thought to look her up. I, I couldn't tell you who Linda Curry was. I'm sure she was on a television show somewhere, but she wasn't a name that when it comes on, you'd be like, oh, I know who that is. Um, <laughs> not at all. I mean, even the ladies that did WrestleMania 2 were a little more famous than whoever who Linda Curry is. I, I'm not real sure who she is, but I did respect the, the large hairdo she had. <laughs> well, for whatever reason, uh, Magnum TA is in some sort of tux here with Linda Curry. And they introduce things. Um, you mentioned the, um, the the accident not happening yet. When I was watching this now, I had just kind of zoned off and I forgot it was February and not after his accident. And she says to him in the uh, early part, you know, oh, I bet you wish you were in the ring. And I remember thinking for that second that he had been past his accident. I was like, wow, that's really low to say to somebody. Yeah. But uh, then I realized, okay, it wasn't. So he's not injured yet, but. You know, if he'd have been in that accident, she'd have said that to him afterwards. Like that, that's, oh, that's cold. Now, now, given that he isn't injured here, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, why is he in this host role? It's a little bit strange. <laughs> I, I think they're, they're, they're getting ready for him and Nikita to get going over the United States Championship, and Nikita would be busy tonight. So I guess they kept him out of there, and they're trying to make him as big a name as possible. 
so he, you know, I guess they gave him a crack at the uh, announcing role. All right. It's just interesting because this is a similar role that you would actually end up doing, you know, going forward. Oh, after his accident, yeah. He does a lot of commentating then, yeah, definitely. All right. So um, Magnum and uh, Linda Curry just uh, say a couple of things, and um, they hand us over to our actual host for the show, um, which are which are David Crockett, um, my favorite, and uh, Tony Schiavone, mustache in tow. Um, and they're ready for this uh, for this special kind of show. Um, it's a special version of the World Championship Wrestling, as you said. Um, and our opening match here is the Midnight Express uh, versus the Rock and Roll Express. Um, in fact, we, we do get a, a, a brief uh, promo from the Rock and Roll Express with Bob Coddle uh, in their locker room just before just before this match. And more of Bob Coddle talking while they're tying bandanas to their legs. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> I did not understand why they they. I don't I don't get them. Instead of interviewing them themselves, I'm I'm not real sure why they why they did that. It did give Bob Cotto a chance to talk about the Express winning, regaining the World Tag Team Titles at Starcade '85, as we saw, and then transitioning from that point over to the the Midnight Express feud, which they were getting into now, and actually. These two teams, although their first match on the big stage for Crockett on the televised is here, actually feuded quite extensively in the Mid-South area in 1984 uh, for, for Bill Watts' company. That, that was the first place these two teams really, really ignited their feud. And they had some great, great matches in the Mid-South area. And if anybody ever had a chance to pick up the Mid-South set before WWE finally purchased it, they have a lot of really good matches at both the house shows there as well as a, a bunch of television matches. So these two coming into this knew each other really, really well, and it shows in this match. Yeah, and d- d- just before we get into this match, um, a, a brief uh, thought about Bob Coddle here. Um, clearly, uh, the commentary team is Crockett and Shivani, um, and Coddle's doing interview duty. Is that because the standard um, World Championship Wrestling kind of um, commentary team was Crockett and Shivani, and Coddle was just here for because Coddle uh, was the main host of the old Mid Atlantic show, and I guess he used to do Worldwide. Um, I'm just wondering what the deal was with having Coddle in the interview inter- interviewer role here. Yeah, I think you nailed it right on the head. They 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 kept the idea of the the Saturday night TBS show with uh, David and Tony. So, and uh, my guess is that's why they did it. And I don't know. Also, if you know, big show, national television, Jim Crocker Promotions. If he, you know, gave his brother the rub there to let him do the big show. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's about time uh, David got some uh, opportunity to be on a big show because, sure as hell, they haven't used him on the pay per view so far. Um, so they do an interesting thing as we go into this match. They do a, like a '80s split screen, <laughs> where um, on the, on the left hand side we see uh, Jim Cornette introducing the Midnight's, and on the right hand side we see more of the Rock and Rollers putting on their bandanas and doing up their laces. <laughs> um, so that was interesting, uh, interesting thing to do. I, I haven't seen that too many times. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. I, what I did find funny on the show is they're, they're tying their bandanas, and a second later they're walking out with the gold around their waists. So yeah. a- any thoughts of this uh, being live? And I, I don't know the exact details. I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but 
I, I can't remember exactly what it is. Somebody here just might be able to, to post it or let us know. They were hyping this show like it was live when they were when they were hyping it on television and talking about it coming on. They had talked, oh, this is going to be live. You're going to see it live on television. And they had hyped it that way. And I'm not sure if before they told you it wasn't or you just kind of had to figure it out on your own. Yeah, well, it, it's obviously not live, though. It's, no, it's no, one of the no, least no. live shows I've ever seen. <laughs> because um, the clips were pretty, like, pretty obvious, you know, as you just said. Um, so anyway, going into this match, we get a, a brief uh, shine period for the Rock and Roll Express. This is a pretty formulaic match, I think. It's, it's uh, Midnight's and uh, the Rock and Roll Express, as you mentioned, had wrestled each other many times by this point. Um, and this is uh, as formulaic as they come, as, as far as I've seen. Um, so we get the typical kind of baby straight, uh, baby face shine sequence to start off with um, before the Midnight's gain control. Interesting that Gibson is again playing face in peril here for like the second match running that we've seen the Rock and Roll Express. So um, Ricky Morton's being the hot tag and Gibson is the face in peril. Yeah, again, interesting to see again. It's, you know, the more I start to see a lot of these things for the first time in a few years, it's, it's interesting to see Robert Gibson actually did do that a little more than would have been thought of. But I think as 86 goes on and after... Ricky gets his singles push. It's all, it becomes almost extensively Morton in peril after that. I wonder if they were just going through a period here where Gibson was like, okay, I'll do some work for a change. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would I flip the coin? Or, I don't know. I'd like, that's a good question. I'd like to ask Ricky Morton if I ever could see him. Or, or maybe Ricky Morton was injured. We don't know. Maybe yeah. he's carrying an injury. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm just massively speculating here. But it's a little bit strange that it's two matches in a row. Um... So obviously the Midnight's uh, cut off the ring, uh, you know, good quick tags in and out. Um, they're a very, you know, they're an effective kind of heel unit. Um, they do a little, they because I've watched a lot of those mid uh, South shows, um, and there there's quite a lot of, uh, you know, like Memphis style stalling from Dennis Condry and sneaky kind of dick heel moves. Um, they don't do a lot of that type of stuff here. But it's, maybe it's because they're working a kind of tight TV match. Yeah, I think also that they have been out of you know the, the Memphis area for a while now. They go into mid south for eighty late eighty three and into eighty four, and then going down to Texas to work for World Class through the late, late end of eighty four and all almost all of eighty five before finally you know showing up in Crockett Land. So they had a couple of years without that that Memphis style around that they kind of I guess got theirself together and change their ways. Yeah, they were a lot more business-like here. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I actually kind of liked... I thought Dennis Condry was really good at that stuff uh, when, when he when he did it. So I, I kind of I kind of missed it a little bit. Um, but, but anyway, they work over Gibson um, until we get the transition. Uh, Bobby Eaton uh, goes for a big move from the top and um, misses it. It's not the Alabama Jam, I think. It's just a, a basic uh, kind of big splash from the top um, and Gibson finally gets the hot tag and we get you know all your typical rock and roller spots the double drop kick twice um, then Cornette finds himself up on the apron and they, they bring him in um, and there's a bit of shenanigans where um, I think it's uh, Eaton is down for the pin I think uh, Morton is trying to pin Eaton 
and Condry gets the tennis racket. Um, you know, Cornette slips Condry the tennis racket, and uh, this is our finish. Basically, he he whacks uh, he he whacks whoever was pinning um, Eaton there, and we've got new tag champs. We definitely do have brand new tag champs. It surprised me too uh, that the Midnight Express that the, you know they gave them their titles basically in their first big shot against the rock and roll. And especially on a, a television show back then, I wouldn't expected the titles to change hands almost that you'd get a disqualification here to make it say, Hey, come to the, to the, to the house shows. Maybe you can see these two battle on an actual title change. So it, it was a nice, it was a nice ending nowadays seeing that good way to kick the show off. Hey, brand new champs. So I guess on the other side of the coin, they give you that anything can happen feel. Well, I, I was genuinely shocked here, and my notes read basically like this. Uh, you know, I, I, I said, but has the time run out? Uh, Crockett says they're new champs, but are they really? I was just basically waiting for that dusty finish. I was waiting for some something to say that they weren't actually new champs, but yeah. sure, sure enough, they were. And I, they're genuinely shocked, to be honest. Wasn't expecting that. There's quite a funny moment in this where uh, where they where they have Cornette and uh, David Crockett is saying with him with him like a dog, which made me laugh a little bit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. <laughs> Get Cornette. He's got the racket. Come on, whip him, whip him like a dog. He gets so he he gets so excited. Um, so yeah, I mean, were they go they'd gone to have a little decent run here, the Midnight's. Or they they, they certainly would. They, they'd carry these belts for for a large part of '86. Yes, yeah, so this is a pretty decent push um, for this team, and this surprises me a little bit because when you look at some of the other teams that are around at this time, um, you know, specifically Arn Anderson and Ollie Anderson and um, the Russians and the Row Warriors. It's really strange that it'd be the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express being the two big teams in the world world title picture. Don't, don't you think? Yeah. I, I think looking at it, they they kind of said, okay, Arn Anderson's going off in singles competition now as the, the world television champion. The Russians, the strong version of the Russians, would have been Ivan and Nikita, and Nikita's heading off for you know a singles push as well. Ivan and Crusher just had the belt, so we'll get it off of them for a while. Plus, Ivan had basically had or been involved in the tag title since, like, 1984, as he was with Don Carnotal way back when yeah. with the titles. And the Road Warriors were that team that also had just come into Crockettland, actually, after the Midnight Express. And it's a good argument I've heard about the Warriors for years, is they didn't need the tag titles really to be over or big or loved. So it, it was just like, why waste it on them? They're moneymakers as it is. So we'll put it on, put it on two teams that you know, where the titles enhance them and make them, you know, what they are. But that's very interesting thinking because if the if you had this exact same set of teams um, over on over in WF, Vince would not have booked it this way. Like almost like the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express would probably be in the same sort of. Um, area on the card as the Rockers and the Orient Express. Do you know what I mean? Like the, oh yeah, yeah. They wouldn't yeah, be the, in the world title the, picture. You know, the next match that we're going to look at here in a minute would have been the Vince McMahon's World Cha- World Tag Team Championship match. Yeah, it's just an interesting uh, difference of mentality, I guess. Um, anyway, Magnum TA is uh, disappointed at this, and uh, there's a really really awkward moment where he turns to Linda Curry 
uh, who's just a total charisma void. You can tell she has absolutely no knowledge of wrestling, no interest in wrestling. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing. Magnum, nothing. Magnum TA is trying to get some reaction from, uh, from her about the um, about how the Rock and Roll Express have just been cheated out of the titles, and all she can talk about is how wonderful it is that the fans are cheering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very awkward moment. Um, she's completely oblivious to the match, and I reckon if you asked Linda Curry which one of these teams is the Midnight Express and which one is the Rock and Roll Express, she wouldn't have known. No, no, no idea, no idea at all. She was a, uh, as you said, a fountain of no information. You know, I can't think of a more devastating blow to been struck the Russell World to have the Midnight Express of all the people, and of all the people that the Rock and Roll defended those World's Heavyweight titles against, to have them with the help of that Jim Cornette take the World's Tag Team titles. It's just almost more than I can put in words. It was amazingly exciting. I was amazed at how the fans support who they're really for, Magnum. I mean, it's. The fans have so much energy, and they seem to really support who they're for. They they really yell at the people they're not for. They're, it's amazing how they're really into the match so much. So from this, we go into the commercial break, um, and Tony Schiavone starts shilling uh, Starcade 85 on VHS. You could get it delivered to your house in uh, six to eight weeks. And I couldn't help but notice the $39.95 tag for this, plus $5 for post and packaging. That's pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely a lot of money for, for a tape back then. I know if I had gone to my mom and asked her for that, she'd have been like, no, forget it. <laughs> yeah, just to for, for, for that, that, that never would have happened. Although, you did have the choice of VHS or beta. I mean, $40 was quite a lot of money in the 80s, right? 1985 could have probably bought you know what could you have bought for that in 19 what could you have got for 40 dollars in 1985 night this time in 1985 early 86 i probably could have purchased for 40 bucks what like eight he-man guys if you were into he-man as a kid i was uh could have got like eight he-man guys probably i mean you could have filled out an entire roster of like your own wrestling organization yeah well um pretty expensive and i uh couldn't help but notice that when uh tony was going through the featured matches uh he he talked about dusty and he talked about flair he talked about magnum and he talked about uh tully he went through all the you know a couple of other matches on the card the uh the atlanta street fight with jimmy valiant in it the one match he didn't know uh mention at all was Abby uh, versus Manny Fernandez so it, it needed no attention it was the main event why, <laughs> why would we need to bring it up it sells itself <laughs> by the way I, I just tried to look up uh, Linda Curry and I cannot find her anywhere on uh, the quick little search of the web here nothing <laughs> I, like, I, I typed her name and I literally went three pages deep on Google and got nothing if, if you're going to get a female celebrity who gives you nothing, then you might as well get one who's recognizable. I, I'm wondering yeah. if she was like kind of like an assistant on a game show or something like that. I've got a feeling. Po- possibly. Or she was assisting the wrestlers after the matches. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, to, uh, just out of interest, Abdullah the Butcher, was uh, was he still around at this point? I assume he was gone. Like, cause he, he never sticks around for long, Abdullah, right? <laughs> No, he's not anything major, that's for sure. I, I can't remember him doing much at all in 1986, and definitely in Crockett Land. I'm sure he's around, you know, Puerto Rico, um, 
Actually, he is. He goes back down to world class in 1986 and has a, a feud with Bruiser Brody down there. Yeah, but he's one of those guys like Terry Funk. You know, he's, he he'll only stick around for like three months and then he's gone. Yeah, I mean, you can only you can only poke so many people with a fork. <clears throat> so we're back to uh, Bob Cottle, and he's with uh, Cornette and the Midnight Express, who are new champs. And me watching this at this point, I'm still in disbelief. I'm still waiting for. Tommy Young or somebody to say, actually, no, they're not the champs, but they are. And um, Jim Cornette uh, is proud. He tells his mama, he says, mama, I did it. Because <laughs> uh, that was his whole gimmick, right? He was a, like a mama's boy. Yes, m- mama was the rich one funding him and getting him his stuff. I love that interview, not so much for the interview, but for, I, can't, oh, I just lost it off the top of my head, but for Bobby Eaton just laying back there, like hanging on. Like, they're basically holding him up, Bobby, during that whole interview. And you can tell he just, like, wants to collapse and lay down. And they have him sitting in that chair, and Des Condry's all excited, running around, you know, trying to keep Bobby awake, giving him the title about, and Bobby's just out of it. So either A, was selling that really, really well, or B, he took a hard shot in that match somewhere, and he was just, like, in la-la land. Yeah, I mean, people talk about, selling an injury and selling it after the match but this is uh taking it to a whole new level i really enjoyed this because it, yeah it's pretty that's funny. one of those interviews that you know i i can there's probably a, a handful of interviews I, I will always think of and remember as great moments that is one of them just because of bobby eaton selling that there it was fantastic and incidentally what did you think of the the match that actually led to this because I actually thought it was really kind of Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express by the numbers. It really didn't kind of do much for me. No, no, it, it was really a, like you said, it was a Midnight MX R&R, one of the Mills Paint by Numbers Southern Tag Team Championship match. But being they had, didn't have a lot of them, you know, I'm thinking in February 7th, 1986, a lot of people wouldn't have seen them in Mid-South and stuff. I, I'm thinking at the time, that would have been like, wow, this is a really, really good thing. I'd like to see these guys, you know, fight quite more off, quite often more. Yeah, and I guess for the Crockett fans, the Midnight's and Jim Cornette hadn't done anything really dastardly or heelish. Yeah, right. They hadn't done any. They hadn't been an angle where they were major time villains to get them. Uh, no, I mean, other than beating up a woman at Starcade, but that really wasn't a woman. So. Yeah. So. Um, Magnum TA um, introduces a clip now from November 85 of the Russians attacking the Road Warriors. Well, specifically Road Warrior Animal at the TBS studios. <laughs> and, and then he uh, goes to Linda Curry for some reason and she says, um, <laughs> she says that these two teams are very powerful and evenly matched. Thanks yes. For that. Thanks for that, Linda. Crack, crack research there. <laughs> And then she sets up another VT, um, this time from December the 3rd, 85, where... I was surprised she even knew, like, she actually says we're going to watch another VTR. I surprised she even knew what that was. Yeah. Um, but I reckon, like, she must have had a script or something. I'm assuming they rehearsed a little bit. <laughs> um, and this time the Russians are attacking Hawk with a chain, and there's a cool spot where they actually hang him from the chain by his uh, by his throat over the top of the um, ropes and probably Hawk doing the most amount of selling that he's ever done there. 
So yeah, it was a good, good, good moment. Again, that's you know I say every time we talk that the crowds in those areas, wherever they're at, for all these TV tapings, just put that stuff way over and above how good it is normally. It just makes it that much better because of the passion they have there. They're going nuts when he gets hung with that chain. Yeah, and uh, Barry Darcy is still with the Russians here, Krusha Khrushchev, um, in all of these beatdowns. And I actually really like the three of them. They, they're they really good at administering a good heel beatdown, the Russians. Oh, completely, yeah. Now, by the time of our match, he has had his knee injury, so... he He's got, like, he's off the screen at, at that point. Yeah, but now, the video we see, he's definitely still around in November when the Warriors finally came to Crockett full-time. Um, they had their match in July. But when he showed up, when they showed up here, yeah, it was all three Russians taking them on. But uh, like I said, by now, by February, Crusher had uh, blown his knee out on television. So, so, so now the Road Warriors come out um, to some uh, to some heavy metal. Um, that is Iron Man by Black Sabbath, which uh, is just a, a great, great song. Yeah, I was going to say it was Black Sabbath. Um, and much better than uh, what their WWF theme would uh, would be down the line. Um, I, did they come out to that music in AWA? Yeah, they did. So they came out to Iron Man there as well. Um, there's I'm trying to think. Yeah, they they did all that. Now they also in the AWA actually have a song uh, that they that they sang. Um, if you've never seen it, I implore you to look it up on YouTube or something. It's I think the song is just called The Hawk and the Animal. It's Funny, it's just funny to see. I mean, they're they're attempting to sing while there's highlights of them beating up jobbers in the AWA show. And it's it's worth a look if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll definitely. I, I may even uh, get a little clip of that and uh, insert it in here. I mean, they're not trying to sing, but they're you know they're on a mic and they're 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 saying musical lines. Uh, so it's it's. It's very funny to see the two of them actually, you know, standing in a studio with a mic, like, singing song. There's talk in the street, there's trouble coming down. My eyes may have been playing tricks on me here, but um, were the Road Warriors still carrying a pair of belts or something? Because I'm pretty sure I saw them give like the guy outside. Like, what were the were they wearing the AWA belts or? No, they they definitely weren't wearing AWA belts. They would have lost those in September of '85 to Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity Steve Regal. Uh, believe it or not, they lost the titles to them with uh, help from the Freebirds uh, in the AWA as well. If uh, you've ever seen the, the famous Superclass show from the AWA where the Warriors take on the Freebirds at Comiskey Park, one night later, uh, I'm not sure where the match is, but they lose the titles to, to Garvin and Regal, and that was finally getting the belts off them so they could you know, head out of town. They, they'd stick around for a little while, feud with the Freebirds, and then head off to Crockett Land. 
So if they have any belts on here, my guess is they would be the uh, like a Japan tag team titles, the RWGP titles, or something like that. They definitely had. They did definitely have some belts there. Or the or the international tag team champions. I know that was another belt they held. I, I am not a, um, a Japanese wrestling uh, guru, and so I'm not. I don't want to get the title names wrong or, or anything like that. But I'm guessing the international tag team championship. I don't know what promotion that would have been for. Um, you mentioned uh, Mr. Electricity Stephen Regal there. Um, now, obviously, uh, some people refer to this as kind of like the um, the kind of footage explosion era of wrestling fandom, where people are actually have access to more footage than they've ever had access to oh, yeah. before and people like going back and reassessing guys and you know um a lot of the guys over at pwo and uh dvdr are all about kind of um challenging like received opinions and what and you know stock goes up and stock goes down of of, of, of different guys i've never seen anyone ragged on more than steven regal like everybody says he's basically like the worst worker ever <laughs> Do you have yeah, views on him? Mr. Electricity was not not very good in my book either. I didn't like him in the AWA. I wasn't a fan of him here. He ends up winning the light heavyweight championship later in, in 86. He gets, I know that he has a slight feud with Hector Guerrero as well as Denny Brown, but no, he, he never really did anything to, to excite me. <laughs> um, so the Road Warriors are out, and... The Russians are out as well. Now, they also have a pair of belts, and we're told that at this time they're the co-holders of the six-man titles. That's correct. Um, even though Barry Darso is injured, so I guess they weren't defending them actively. No, you wouldn't think, though, and then eventually they'll just change. I don't know if they ever lose the or if it's shown on TV, but eventually they're gone. They're, they're actually in the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes' hands down the line here. Surprise, Dusty got himself another title. But it's, I don't know when they win them. I'll have to look that up before we get to that point and make sure we mention it when we get that point in the timeline. Yeah, and you know me, I, I'm not a fan of having loads of titles. And I'm I'm probably uh, one of the people who hates the six-man titles more than anyone else. I, I, I didn't even understand why they were there. I mean, six-man matches weren't anything that Crockett promoted at all you know, to... Even think about giving them a belt made absolutely no sense. I, I didn't understand it. Just, just a worthless, uh, worthless title. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at world class, for example, where six man tags were huge. It was like the, you know, the base of their promotion for a long time. So you could understand it down there, but it just made no sense up in Crockett Land. And if there's a reason for it, I, I don't know what it is. And if, if somebody did, I'd love to know what it was. Maybe they were just trying to get the Russians over as a three man stable. I don't know, but. Seems possible. Seems weird. Anyway, uh, Nikita starts out with Animal, um, and uh, we even get a brief uh, bear hug from Animal uh, to start off with. And um, t- Tony Schiavone says, "Neither, neither man will give an inch." David Crockett says, "This is like two, uh, two bulls, two pit bulls at war." Um, so, kind of like. Not going anywhere with Nikita versus Animal, so Animal uh, tags the Hawk. Um, Ivan Kodoff is in by this point as well. And the Russians briefly gain advantage before um, 
I, uh, Hawk catches Ivan coming off the top rope, which I've of noticed, course. which I've noticed is often the transition point um, for the heel in peril section that we uh, we've come to know and love from Ivan. Like he'll he'll often uh, miss a move from the top rope before. Yeah, him and Ric Flair has gone together. You know, made <laughs> yeah. coming off the top rope. Um. So we get the obligatory uh, Ivan uh, healing peril section, but it's actually not as long. Uh, not as long. It's not really that long. Only a couple of minutes. Um, during it, during this time, Baron von Reschke wanders out, um, looking about sixty-eight years old. Um, and yeah, I just got the note here. He must have just come from AWA around this point. Yeah, he he definitely did. He definitely did. I uh, like, I forgot he does come out at this match, and uh, they were I guess inserting him here without Crusher around to be their third. So Nikita comes back in, um, works over Hawk a little bit. Uh, we get a sneaky double team by uh, by Ivan using the tag rope. Um. I've just got. I've just written here that Nikita looks like a beast in this match, even with even with the Row Warriors in there. He still looks. Uh, he still looks like a real force to be reckoned with. He is just massive at the end of '85 and through most of '86. Just, just massive. Yeah, and um, it, if I was Nikita, I'd really be thinking about changing changing my partner at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's been carrying Ivan for a long time now. But hey, Uncle Ivan brought him over, so I mean, he has that to thank him for. Without, 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 without Uncle Ivan, the Kremlin wouldn't have sent him over. Yeah, well, I suppose blood, blood is thicker than uh, the water, so you know. Hey, you know, the, what happens? The, the Kremlin sends you over for a reason. You'll do anything for your uncle until the person you hate more than anybody else in the world gets in a car accident. Then, for some reason, you love America. It just <laughs> it works that way. So, um. Baron von Reschke uh, sneaks in and uh, drops an elbow on Hawk. Um, Ivan covers for two. Um, Hawk start to come back, but uh, Baron von Reschke comes back in and attacks uh, Hawk. And I just got written here: Hawk versus Baron von Reschke looks absolutely ridiculous. Like, is anybody buying this? That this you know fifty-something-year-old man who looks probably like he's in his mid-60s, is going to tow on one of the Row Warriors. It just looks yeah, ridiculous. It made no sense. But in a, in a bit of continuity, if you will, if you will, the uh, <laughs> Road Warriors actually won their AWA tag titles from the Baron, from the good Baron there. Uh, he was tagging with the Crusher in the AWA, so maybe, maybe somewhere the Baron still had some hatred in him from losing those titles. Yeah, so when uh, Von Raschke comes back in, uh, that's actually an instant DQ. Um, and what happens here? That uh, somehow the Royal Warriors end up outside of the ring, and then the Russians and uh, Von Raschke grab Paul Ellering um, and attempt to triple team him by thwarting because I think they 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 jump they. One of them runs towards the ropes, and the row warriors pull pull on the ropes, so it kind of um, breaks the momentum there. And yes. then we get this weird section where Baron von Raschke is trying to uh, beat up Paul Ellering, but Ellering makes a comeback on von Raschke, um, and then the row warriors come in and attack Ivan with a chain. Um, 
Ellering actually looks quite fit here. He doesn't look like a manager. He actually looks like a wrestler. What's the deal? He, he was a wrestler for, for a long while. Actually, a good wrestler uh, in Georgia. He might have wrestled him in Atlantic, um, some other places. He, he was really good. He had a really, really horrible knee injury. And I believe it was Ole Anderson had said to him, well, basically, you're not going to be able to wrestle again for a long time, if ever. But you're good on the mic. How would you like to be a manager? So he took the opportunity there, and from there started the original Legion of Doom in Georgia, and then by now the Legion of Doom was just him, hawking animals. Right. And, I mean, if if you had to guess, if you just showed someone, who is the manager out of these two, from Von Raschke and Halloween, you'd, uh, <laughs> you'd guess it's Von Raschke. <laughs> Definitely Von Raschke. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering why they gave him a con- like what use he was to Crockett at this point really strange to bring in a guy this old like i mean just as a booker just 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 thinking as a booker what are you maybe, thinking? maybe he was friends with the road warriors you know and they were just like we're not coming unless you don't bring the baron <laughs> you know i mean I, that's a possibility i guess i can't back that up but maybe, maybe that's a possibility i don't know at what point they were sitting in a room and said we got to combat vince three words Baron Vaughn Rashi. They were like, salad, let's get him in. But, it, like, this this dude is older than Ivan Koloff, and I, Ivan is starting to look, you know, yeah. he he obviously looks older than the other dudes in the ring. But when this guy comes in, you know, Ivan Koloff probably looks a million dollars compared to this guy. The Baron's uh, physique is uh, phenomenal, shall we say. <laughs> anyway, um, we come back to Magnum T.A., um, and he uh, he says, coming up, we've got Willie Nelson, um, which is uh, which is incredible. And then we, um, yeah, he tells us he's remaking the Western Stagecoach with Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson, um, and Dusty Rhodes has got a bit part in it. <laughs> so we're taken to this uh, interview with Tony Schiavone, um, who's with Willie Nelson and Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> and both uh, of them Willie you can almost guarantee is high because that's Willie Nelson you kind of wonder as calm as dusty is in that interview if he was hanging out with Willie beforehand as well, well D- Dusty talks about uh, his love for country music um, and and Willie Nelson you know he picks up the fact that he's from Austin Texas and I, I suppose Austin is like a big uh, music town um, he says is uh, he's got a great friendship with Willie Nelson and it uh, goes on about the fact that because they're on the road together, you know, because they're on the road, they come across each other from time to time. Um, and he, he's, was he said he spends like Christmas or Thanksgiving or was it New Year's with Willie Nelson every year? Yeah, I don't remember which holiday it was either, but he says, yeah, he definitely spends it uh, with him. If, uh, I don't remember what, if it was Christmas or Thanksgiving, but, you know, I'm sure his kids love to hear that. No. Do you believe that Dusty and Willie Nelson were really friends? Do you think this is genuine? I I can see it because, you know, Dusty Rose was a pretty, pretty big name. And Willie Nelson, from my understanding, actually did enjoy wrestling. So I could see them being being, being, best friends that hang out all the time. I don't know about that. But I can see a friendship happening there. I've seen a lot of videos of Dusty Rhodes singing at Willie Nelson concerts. Now this is probably the most southern. That this is. Uh, <laughs> this is. I was thinking this is very southern. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching this, um, 
But yeah, Dusty is loving this. He's wearing his shades. He's going to be in this film. You know, he's sitting there with Willie Nelson next to this pool. <laughs> I love the scene they show real quick when he's in, uh, they show a clip of the making of the movie. And he's over there and he kind of walks over to Johnny Cash and uh, I forget, maybe Chris Christopherson's with him. And he just walks over them and it's almost like, you know, normally you think of Dusty Rhodes as the man in the wrestling industry. You know, they come to him. He's the booker. He's the man. And when he walks over, if you look at the video and he kind of shakes Johnny Cash's hand, he kind of looks like the kid there going, oh, wow, there's a superstar in front of me. I was, I was got a kick out of that watching that little clip of video. <laughs> yeah, kind of the Dusty kind of brought down to earth a little bit. Yeah, right, right. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely in this interview, he's playing the big man. You know, look look at me with my superstar friend. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I'm very interested by that kind of uh, dynamic. Like Dusty Rhodes always brings up the fact that he's the son of a plumber and he's you know uh, from humble origins and whatnot. But he also, like, especially increasingly during 86, as we'll see, plays up the fact that he's, like, some superstar. You know, he wears the shades and the fur coats, and, you know, there's there's this kind of interview segment. And um, I'm just wondering how that how that works, because in, in the UK, um, you know, there's something about, like, being working class where you don't kind of, like, show off. You don't, you know, if you're from a working class background, you stay down to earth, and you don't... Uh, you don't kind of like try to show that you're better than anyone else. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering how this dynamic works with uh, with Dusty Rhodes and like the the American working class or the the blue collar guys. Uh, you know, from my experience around, it's basically if you got it, flaunt it. Right. Okay. Um, here, it's you know, I have all this. I'm not saying everybody's like that. It's not. It's a generalization, but you see a lot of. You might see somebody that is in the working class that once they might like I'm in the working class, but if they would, you know, hit that, that, that upper echelon of money, a lot of times you'll see them, you know, start to flaunt what they have and kind of, you know, show it off. But, but that wouldn't lose him any popularity. No, no. Right. Well, he'd probably, you know, what do they, what they love to do here is, you know, I'm sure people will talk bad about him constantly, but still talk about him, put him in papers, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Okay. No publicity is bad publicity type of type of deal. Okay, but it's it's just an interesting little kind of a uh, little difference, I guess, because I I reckon if Dusty was behaving like this, um, you know, for a British working class crowd, it might it might start kind of losing him, uh, losing him, you know, almost like he's yeah. kind of losing his roots type thing, you know. Yeah, I honestly don't think I over here. That's Dusty Rhodes, you know. Hey, he's doing well. We love him, so sort of that oh. type of deal. Well, I guess you love a success story in the states. And that's pretty much what it is. It's yeah. it's the you know coming up from nothing and becoming something really really big and but the fact that still, that that always that always does well here. But the fact he's still a Texas boy is kind of like enough for all of you know all of the kind of Crockett's kind of Heartland fans. It almost yeah. is like Dusty kind of adapts to whatever situation he's in. Right, okay. So, <laughs> Willie Nelson uh, has got a new album coming out called Living in the Promised Land. And uh, there's a pretty much surreal moment where he recites from the title track. And he doesn't just recite a couple of lines. He does like an entire verse. Oh, I know, he goes on and on. <laughs> Tony just has... You know, you know those moments where Tony freezes up? Um, he does it a lot when, as you'll see, like, you know, by the time we get to 92, 
whenever like when Tora's trying to rib him or whatever, like Tony just freezes. He's got nothing to say, and uh, he's pretty much speechless here. Like he doesn't have any follow up or anything to say. <laughs> Dusty doesn't really say anything either. It's very awkward. Dusty. Dusty's just like that's beautiful, baby, or something like that. <laughs> I just, like okay. I have a new album coming out called Living in the Promised Land. Uh, I was telling you the words of that song. Uh, would you like to read like, yeah, it? Sure. Again? It's, uh, it's living in the promised land. Our dreams are made of steel. The prayer of every man is to know how freedom feels. There is a winding road across the shifting sands. And room for everyone living in the promised land. And so they came from the distant isles. Nameless woman, faithless child, like a bad dream. Till there was no room at all, no place to run and no place to fall. So give us your daily bread. We have no shoes to wear. No place to call our own, only this cross to bear. We are the multitude. Lend us a helping hand. Is there no love anymore living in the promised land? That's well, strong, isn't it? That's, that's, that's strong. strong. <laughs> I like it. That's great. That'll be great. Sounds good. Jim Crockett Sports on location, Tucson, Arizona. Filming of Willie Nelson's new movie, Stagecoach. Thank you, gentlemen. You have both very busy schedules. Thank you very much for spending time with us here today. And here today, it's very obvious that legends are not made. Legends are born. So this was a pretty strange uh, segment uh, with Willie Nelson there. But uh, I enjoyed it. Um, so now we have uh, a match involving Dusty. Uh, for the national championship, and he uh, he still had uh, Buddy Landell's old uh, national championship title here. Uh, he de he definitely did. Um, he was taking on uh, Tully Blanchard here for for the national title, and uh, there was actually a lot going on between the last time we saw these guys in a in a, in a big scene. Uh, as we Starcade '85, we left. Uh, Dusty had won, then not won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And Tully had lost his United States Championship, as we know, to Magnum. Uh, coming out of there, and Buddy Landell, we did see win the national championship. Uh, we discussed what happened with Buddy Landell. His demons got in the way. Dusty becomes a national champion. As we hit 1986, on the, the very first episode of Worldwide uh, for 86, the, the January 4th episode, Tully Blanchard is on there, and they've been asking where Baby Doll is. He's still with Baby Doll at that moment. She comes out as well, and J.J. Uh, Dillon is now around as well, as he is now hooked up with Tully. And uh, Tully's asking Baby Doll, where have you been? And she said, oh, I was off on vacation. You know, J.J. sent me there, said I could go wherever I wanted. J.J. shows up, of course, denies ever saying anything to her or letting her go anywhere. And then, again, in a moment of television that just would not happen today, Tully just open, open hand just slaps the shit out of Baby Doll on television. And uh, kind of starts yelling and screaming at her, you know, saying where she is. And, and who is to save us but our hero, Dusty Rhodes, comes in, kind of clears his house at J.J. and Tully, you know, and takes Baby Doll with him to the back. Uh, at the end of that same show, Tully comes back out and just loses his mind in a, in a great interview, screaming about how Baby Doll still belongs to him. And she, I own her lock, stock, and barrel. And she, he was just teaching. His, his line is something like, Dusty Rhodes, you should understand, you know, I slapped her like you'd slap your kids when you're trying to teach them how to do something. And J.J. Dillon is also really arrogant in the interview, saying, I guarantee you by tomorrow, she'll be crawling back to you, Tully. And that, that goes 
that kind of gets things kicked off. And Tully even mentions, you know, Dusty, you and I had a pass from a year ago, and if you want to get this going again, I'll take your national championship. And that kind of that rekindles rekindles this feud and gets things going. So by the time we get here, th- these guys are in gear again with Dusty and Tully feuding. And of course, Dusty now has Baby Doll on his side as he comes out to the ring. And Tully is now with J.J. Dolan as the, the Four Horsemen's advisor is now in tow here. So we've got a huge change in, in the, the way the, these guys are all grouped. And uh, one thing I will say before we get into the match is that national championship looks like it is screaming to hold on on Dusty's waist. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it is on like the last two buttons. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that when he turned around. I always yeah, get a kick out of that. Like he puts that thing on, and like they were probably in the back, like suck in big boy while we snap this. And yeah, I, I, it's I always get a kick out of Dusty wearing those championship belts because they barely fit. You know, he he did look like he'd lost a tiny bit of weight. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, he was sucking in to hold that belt on. <laughs> but he, he comes out uh, with Louis Armstrong playing uh, as his music. I noticed. Because um, we talked about Dusty's uh, fake music at Starcade uh, on that 24/7 uh, uh, tape, but this is the Louis Armstrong track. Did, was that something you usually used? I haven't heard that before. I've never heard uh, I heard play anything like that before. I haven't, but uh, it's funny because uh, often a complete, complete side note, I actually won a Louis Armstrong Jazz Award when I was in high school, so oh, it's kind of funny, kind of funny to hear that. Um. Now, I have a little bit of backstage intrigue uh, at, at this point, um, because I have seen it speculated. I, know, I don't know if this is just kind of like internet rumor, um, but the, Dusty basically had eyes for Baby Doll, like he, like he kind of wanted her for himself, like in real life. And um, so around this time, Sam Houston was shipped off to the Central States Territory, Yes, he was. That's a good point. He was shipped off. And now he, in storyline-wise, has got Baby Doll back by his side. Now, remember, he'd already won her for 30 days <laughs> before, and now he's got her back. And <laughs> if these re- if these rumors are true, that he he sent off Sam Houston so he could have more time with Baby Doll, um, all these like shots of him putting his arm around her and kind of like... You know, he he touches her whenever he can, and I just—it's a little bit creepy. If that's yeah, he does, he does, and I I have nothing to substantiate, you know, that rumor or anything. I've never read anything, never seen anything, but yeah, you can you can just kind of see, like you said, when he puts his arm around her, the way he's just kind of holding her by her waist around the ring and stuff. That you know, if it's not there, he's doing his damnedest to get it there. Yeah, a little bit creepy from uh, from Dustin, and and I wonder was he married at this time as well um you know i assume dustin had to have been born by by 1986 but i, I also wonder you know was he still married and you kind of you, know, you gotta look at that side of things too and that's you know I, I personally think that's despicable if he was married and was doing that you know backstage but that's the other side of the coin yeah um and i gotta think i mean fair enough tully uh, did actually hit her but if your baby doll is between tully and dusty at this point <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe she liked her man big. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. God bless Dusty Rose. I'm sure he's a nice person. I've never met him. He booked some great wrestling. Everybody has their own opinion on him. But I, I at what point a girl stops and goes, I want that? I'll never know. 
I, I don't get it. I I don't. You know, he's 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 Dusty Rhodes. Well, I mean that that goes back to what we were saying before. You know, fame will get you anything. Yeah. Um. So I couldn't help but notice as this match started that Bill Apter is uh, visible on camera and he's taking some photos for his uh, PWI magazine. Um, and we get some uh, kind of typical kind of dusty roads uh, trucking and jiving as we start here and then we go immediately into a break. Um, and when we come back, Dusty's already got the early advantage and he kind of locks in the figure four early. Um... And the psychology of this match is very similar to the flare match from Starcade because Dusty's leg is still hurt. Um, yeah, they, they actually mentioned uh, at the beginning of the match that by rule, Dusty was no longer allowed to wear his, his boot that he had on at Starcade, that white boot. He's back to wearing regular rest, wrestling boots as well. So for that reason, and with psychology, I like the idea that Tully did go after the, the injured leg. Yeah, and uh, and this match basically plays out exactly the same. So Dusty early advantage goes for the figure four. At some point, Tully turns it around and works on Dusty's leg. Um. Uh. Not not a lot really happened in it. A lot of this match is on the mat to start off it, with. It really is. It's you know I really I, I have something where I it's one of those things maybe with my age. Whatever, but I always think of Dusty and Tully as like really good things. But this match really is not good. It's just too long, and there's never anything that really makes me, you know, kind of sit up and go, "Wow, this is getting really good now." And like I said, I love slow technical wrestling when there's something going on there. But this one really just did nothing for me until after the match was over. Well, Dusty does hit a belly to belly suplex. Um, JJ comes up, distracts the ref. And later, uh, a little bit later, Dusty hits a vertical suplex from from outside, goes for the pin, and uh, JJ puts um, Tully's leg on the rope. And uh, I, I love that managerial move. I, I know he does it more than anybody I can think of, but that's one of my favorite things to watch a manager do: is throw the foot up and then yell to the ref. That's great. Yeah. Love it. Now, <laughs> I don't know what Tully had done to David Crockett, <laughs> but um. Croc- David Crockett really, <laughs> all the way through this match, is um, is on kind of Tully's case. So like around four minutes in, uh, Crockett says, "Time is on your time is not on your side, Mister Blanchard. It's on the side of Dusty Rhodes." And then uh, three minutes to go, Dusty hits a atomic drop, and then David's back again. Time is slipping away, Mister Blanchard. He's so like. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you mention that, because uh, on the show I mentioned before from uh, January 86, uh, David Crockett actually starts goading Tully near the end of that thing, too, when Tully's like, she'll be back, and David's in his face like, oh, where is she? She's with Dusty now. She doesn't want to be with you, and so I don't know what it is, but yeah, he, he had it out for Tully. Yeah, and, and of course, during the Magnum TA kiss, where, where he's, uh, you know, she likes it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. There's something going on there. I'm not, I'm not aware of. But uh, either they, maybe, maybe those two had a good friendship and enjoyed doing that on camera together, or he just thought he was an asshole. <laughs> I'm not sure which one it was. David is definitely more animated when T- Tully is around. Uh, anyway, a couple more more minutes go by, and uh, Dusty locks in a Boston crab. Um, 
and the time limit draw inevitably comes, um, which is pretty disappointing. Uh, Did you find it strange, just because it's not something that you're used to seeing, that the champion and also the face actually has the move on not only the challenger, but the heel as the time runs out? It, it is unusual booking. It is strange. Um, I don't see why they couldn't have gone for like a count-out Los uh, Patelli or a DQ even. Or, you know, maybe I was thinking along the lines of like JJ interferes, Tully goes for the slingshot, but the time expires or something like that to kind of kick things into gear here where I, I just didn't understand the end of this match. Uh, they, they, they fix it afterward, but I, I really didn't understand that, that, that part of the finish. It, it, it's, it's, it's a strange one because, um, well, I, I guess Dusty was just booked strong here. Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, after the match, uh, Tully gets a pile driver on Dusty, um, and JJ Dillon steals the national belt. Um, uh, the best thing I love about that is uh, JJ comes in and gets in Dusty's face. So Tully comes over, and just kicks him in the leg first. I love that. Just kicked him in his bad leg, and as he bent over, he just picks him up, pile drives him in the ring, and they and they roll after that. They leave, but I love watching little swarmy Tully Blanchard just come up and kick him in the leg. Loved it. So yeah, I mean that was quite an entertaining post match. Post match is definitely better than the match itself. Oh, definitely, definitely, and that that would uh, you know that would kick this feud into higher gear, and these guys would go at it for a while. Finally, Tully would actually get the National Heavyweight Championship off of Dusty uh, a couple months later on, on Worldwide as well. In March of 86, they had a pretty good TV match where Ric Flair helps interfere and Tully does grab the National Heavyweight Championship. So good to see that. And I see uh, this feud actually continue from here and, you know, something came out of this rather than it just being another match. It's funny how Dusty got the national title and all, all of a sudden it's a big deal. Yeah, really, and uh, you know, Tully gets it, and, and once Tully gets it, 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 it's a pretty, it's an important title for the summer. We'll see some more about it at, at the uh, Great American Bash when we get into the feud. He's in there, but it becomes important, and then again, once summer ends, it disappears and ends up getting unified. See, I, I wonder if, um, I wonder if it's uh, the TV title at this point. You know, Arn was the TV champion, and it was in a dark match, so. Um, I'm wondering if that has kind of been, you know, de-elevated or pushed down the card a little bit to make room for this, just because it, Dusty was involved. It definitely does get pushed down the card when when you look through. I mean, Arn has some TV matches to defend the title, but Arn's big thing over the upcoming summer is tagging with Ole against the Rock and Roll Express to find out who the number one contenders are for the tag titles. So, yeah, I would definitely say it gets very, very devalued for a while. So we're back with Magnum TA, um, and he is with owner of the company, Jim Crockett Jr. Um, and it's, Mr. Personality. Yeah, Linda Curry is a charisma void. I don't know what this guy is. Uh, and anyway, um, Magnum mentions uh, Crockett's uh, father in a little bit of foreshadowing, um, and he talks him up as a, so this is Jim Crockett Sr., talks him up as a revolutionizer of, uh, of wrestling. Um, I actually looked it up. He he actually died in 1973, so quite quite a long time since uh, Jim Crockett Senior was was on TV. Um, and really, this interview was all about um, the upcoming uh, Crockett Cup, the Crockett Memorial Tag Championship, in honor of Jim Crockett Senior. 
which uh, JCP would run for a number of years. And this is to commemorate the 50 years of uh, Jim Crockett promotions. So, any anything to say about this? <laughs> it's you know it's one of the shows that you know, WWE has their vault of all of this footage you know from Crockett Land everybody else that it's one of those things. If I was ever given the keys and an hour to go in there, I think one of the first things I would try to find is is that entire tournament recorded from 86 um i I think it's the the greatest tag team tournament that's not widely available uh, to see they 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 did release a two-hour video of it that is a real clip to hell version of two days of tournament but uh they do a great job hyping it over the next couple of months it just it looks like a really, really great couple nights of wrestling. They they end up uniting a bunch of federations, you know, Mid-South, UWF. There's some Florida guys in there, some Japanese teams, as well as Crockett's big teams and that, that big, big tournament. And I would love love to see it. There's there's some interesting teams in that tournament, too. Um, uh, we have teams like, uh, like Tully and Orntag in that one. And it's funny to see them together there, you know, almost a year or so before they would tag for good and become the team everybody remembers it's interesting to see them in there and then there's some other some good teams there's some good matches there's some famous matches in there as well um i, I know reading enough about the sheep herders fantastics match from the crockett cup is supposed to be one of the greatest tag team matches of all time I, i've seen it rated from the wrestling observer you know rated really really high I, i've never seen it other than the clipped part of it but to see things like that is just something I, I would just love, love to see that tournament. But unfortunately, it's just it's you can't find it. Yeah, and um, I'll be honest, we're in two minds here about whether we're gonna um, two-hour version of the show that I've been able to get a hold of doesn't have commentary on it. Uh, Brian's also doesn't have commentary on it. Uh, yeah, do have a version with commentary on? I know it's out there. I've actually tried three different times to to acquire it, and all three times I got it, it had no commentary. Yeah, it, I've got a feeling that you know, you know how certain things do the rounds on the internet. I've got a yeah. feeling like the one without commentary is the one that does the rounds, and nobody's really got the one with commentary. Yeah, I, I know it's out there. I know on tape trading boards it's there. I've seen it. I've seen people say, "Oh, mine has commentary." I've just never. You know, go on to them and say, hey, hey, I want to get a copy of that because I'm not a fan of clipped matches. I'm really not. It just makes me want to see the rest of the match. They can take five minutes out of an hour-long match that is just rest holds, and I'm like, oh, it's clipped. I, I want to see the whole thing. Yeah, I, 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 we may, we may do a show on the Crockett Cup. We may not. So, I'm prop, I'm likely the next one is going to be Great American Bash. I think we'll. Uh, but there's a chance we, we we're gonna whatever we do we'll uh, we'll give a summary of it at the top yeah, of the we'll show. Definitely go over it. So um, so the, I I was actually really impressed uh, by this next uh, little section here. Um, Magnum says that venues from all over the country are bidding to hold the prestigious uh, Crockett Memorial Cup, and um, we're taken to Joel Watt. Uh, surprisingly, who's uh, in the Superdome um, in Louisiana, um, and he uh, he's saying that they want to hold it there. <laughs> he's with Bob Johnson, um, vice president of the Louisiana Superdome, um, and uh, he's he basically talks up all the great events that have been uh, held there and how they wanna they wanna have it, you know. But 
but they're bidding with all the other great venues out there. <laughs> I actually thought this was uh, really quite good. You know, I, I love uh, kayfabe uh, shit like this, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it was great. Great to see them, you know. He goes through the list of stuff that they've held and stuff that's coming, including other Super Bowls. And, you know, I agree with you. That was great. I, I just think they should have maybe to make it a little better to add a couple other places on there too, saying, Oh, what about us? What about us? Cause they spend five minutes talking to them and then it ends up being there. So <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose of everybody trying to get it. So to speak. When I, when I saw Joe Watts, it was pretty obvious it was going to happen there. There's, there's no way, uh, Watts is involved in this with, uh, without it actually being that show. Right. Yes. Uh, Joe Watts. I, uh, you know, I, I'll reserve my comment. I'm not a fan of Joe Watts commentary. <laughs> Or anything that he did in the Mid South days, not at all. But bless him, though, he did try. He did. Uh, oh my God, yeah, God love him. He tried, and you know what? He probably did a better job that I can never dream of doing. You know, calling wrestling play by play, but just you know, you had an up and coming Jim Watts, or not Jim Watts. You had an up and coming Jim Ross there that just you know destroyed him. So but trying to watch him beside that was just hard to do. Joel Watts wasn't like he did every like he did camera work. He was a referee like. He oh yeah, yeah. He was well versed in his dad's company, no doubt. Hard worker, I'm sure. I just, you know, the commentating portion of it, I just was not a fan of. Yeah, in fact, Bill Watts is a decent commentator. Oh yeah, Bill Watts, I thought was great commentating, especially his stuff. You know, the Mid South UWF. Uh, yeah. You know, being the part Booker Ford or the main Booker and commentating, he was he was incredible. He brought passion. He brought heart into that. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. But he just, uh, I, I guess he's one of those guys who had a real weakness when it came to his sons. Like, he just wanted to give them every uh, every chance that he could, <laughs> as we'll yeah, see coming up. Joel, Joel got the commentate, Eric got the win titles. <laughs> um, so, D- Tony is with uh, Gaylord Perry. We we're taking Tony Schiavone, uh, who is a baseball player. Have you ever heard of him before, I, obviously, no. I, I don't really follow the the U.S. sports very much, but I actually thought Gaylord uh, Perry was pretty good on the mic here. Yeah, he was a he was a famous uh, pitcher who, as, as they announced on the show, did win over three hundred games, which in Major League Baseball is a huge, huge accomplishment. Uh, not many guys win three hundred. I think the last couple that had done it over the last ten years are really going to be the last we're going to see for a long time, just because. Pitchers get injured a lot more and, you know, 800 other reasons. But uh, Gaylord Perry was a pitcher that was also famous for putting stuff on the ball to to make it do things. If you've ever seen uh, – have you ever seen the American movie Major League? No, no, I haven't seen that. Well, the, the character in that movie, I believe, was based off of Gaylord Perry who, you know, they'll put like Vaseline, different things on the ball. He'd hide it in his hat. He'd hide it in other places on him. And by doing that and throwing the ball, that you can change the trajectory of the ball make it do different things and it's illegal to do in baseball it was then it still is today and he was famous for doing that a lot and getting away with it during his career so that, that's that's my memory to Gaylord Perry his his heyday was way before I was old enough to even to get into did, baseball did, but did, did that's what I'd always heard about him did I miss here Tony because I thought he said 82 but it must have been like 62 or something well, no, he might have won 300 in 82, but his his heyday would have been the 70s, whenever I was either not born or very, very young. But hold on, he was still playing in 82? Because this, this dude looked about 50-odd. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was definitely still pitching. And I want to think he was pitching 
So off the top of my head, through 84, maybe even into 85. Yeah, it was it was amazing that that guy had some longevity. So, did, I mean, when did tip baseball players typically retire? I, I, I don't know if there's an actual median age for retirement. Some of them will go for a long, long, long time. Some of them will, you know, just phase out early depending on injury or the way you throw. You know, Gaylor Parker was more of a control pitcher. I don't think he was so much a power pitcher where... A lot of the power pitchers will have a shorter time because they throw their arms out from throwing so hard. But Gaylor Perry, he pitched from 1962 through 1983. Wow. Oh, that, yeah. that, that surprised uh, me a lot. Cause it, I, I, I was thinking, like, did he say pitcher? Does he not mean coach or something? But uh, well, obviously you can have it, you can play till you're old in baseball, which, uh, which I didn't, I didn't definitely, know. You definitely, definitely can. Like in, 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 even in cricket, they uh, they retire much earlier than that. You never see like old, old cricketers or anything. Yeah, that was my question back to you. I'd like, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't know cricket at all, sort of like you said about, you know, Major League Baseball, but that would be the thing. I, I don't know how long or like what's required of the, the athletic side of cricket because I really wouldn't know the rules or anything else. So I wouldn't know where an age would be. Yeah, there's there's not many sports where you can uh, d- d- where you can you know play into your f- late forties or fifties. Like you, he would have been. Let me look here while we're before we set up the last match here. Let's see, forty, even forty five or forty six when he retired. Wow. Yeah, that, when I mean, you, that's all by any. Uh, you thought, you thought how old do you think he was when you saw him on the uh, on that video I on the he, show? I thought he was in his fifties. To be honest. Forty-seven, forty-eight. There. Oh right. Okay. So he, yeah. he obviously looked a bit older than he was. <laughs> yes. T- time was not kind to Gaylor Perry. So, so, so anyway, we have our uh, we have our main event here, um, and it's a fan request match and a dream match, uh, apparently, um, and it's Ric Flair versus Ron Garvin, who comes out to the Wanderer. Um, for the world title, and do you believe that this was a fan request? I mean, do you think all the fans were really wanting to see Flair versus Garvin? I think it's something that somebody definitely would have wanted to see. I know they would use these two a lot as like a side feud for Flair, in between a big feud or uh, something like that. And you know, they bring Ronnie Garvin in, and Garvin would always talk about wanting his shot against Flair on television. So. I think so there. I don't think it would have been at the, the top of the list. I honestly think the top of the list would have been Flair versus Jimmy Valiant. No, not at all. My belief is that the top of the list would have been uh, Boogie Woogie Man. If, if or, yes, really... or Billy Graham. Try to get him back in. Or Billy Graham. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah. I, well, I guess in real terms, the fans would have wanted Dusty, probably. Yeah, you'd figure as much. I would think at that era they'd want Dusty, but you know they were pushing a, a Dusty Tully feud at that time, so they did what they did, and they just probably looked around and said, "We have who do we slip in to defend the title here? Oh, let's put Ronnie Garvin in." And as we'll see here, we see for the next couple of years, these two have great chemistry in the ring. Yeah, in fact, that's the very first um, note that I've got here. These two have good chemistry, and you can tell pretty much immediately. When this uh, when this match starts, um, and it's just kind of like stiff work, you know, strikes back and just forth. Just 
shit out of each other every time they fight. Um, I don't know if you read Flair's autobiography or not, the one that came out in the mid-2000s. He had talked about matches with Ronnie Garvin, where afterward his chest would be like raw, and he would have to put like Neosporin or ointment on it for just days and days afterward, because Ronnie would just pop the hell out of him. No, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't read that. I have actually, um, I did watch the, you know, the big, like, God knows how many hours it is, but that that shoot uh, interview that Flair did, where he oh uh, yes 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 chewing tobacco. So I, I I do feel like I've sort of read Flair's autobiography, but uh, I mean pretty much. And that that shoot interview actually was better because there were some things that were left out of that book just because it was a WWE book. So yeah, that shoot interview was good too. I I just don't I don't remember that exact story of his when he talked about his chest like almost being to the point of bleeding when Ronnie Garvin was done chopping him. If he didn't have the chewing tobacco, it would be. My favorite show yeah. interview, but that God, it's disgusting, and it yeah, yeah. like ruins my uh, my image of what Flair is. <laughs> Luckily, most of those shoot interviews, I just hear them because I usually listen to them at work, and I'm yeah. having my ears. So I don't actually see the fitting and everything, but I mean, you clearly hear it. But I think not seeing it helped out a lot for me when I saw that, so it didn't bother me as much. Um, yeah. Garvin has got a terrible mullet at this time. It's really bad haircut. <laughs> um. I 1986, can't... though. I mean, maybe it wasn't that bad. Yeah, maybe maybe he was at the height of fashion here, but something tells me, something tells me not. Wrestling's usually a good four or five years behind the times. Uh, a man from the, from Quebec swearing to be out of Carolina. Where call it? Uh, you can't go. You can't go wrong with that. And there's a very funny moment in this match where Garvin pulls on Flair's nose, and David Crockett goes absolutely insane. He, he shouts, "He's got his nose." He's got that honker. He's got the nose, and even Tony Schiavone can't help but laugh at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's just, you know, David Crockett at his best. I don't know what else you can say there. God bless David Crockett. So there's there's basically many many strip uh, strikes in this match. Um, Flair takes a beating from uh, Garvin, but turns it round with a back suplex. Um, and he has a nice little sequence. Uh, he has a vertical suplex. He hits his signature knee drops. Um, Garvin comes back with strikes and headbutts. Flair begs off. Garvin actually hits a suplex. Um, after some time, we get a ref bump. Tommy Young always seems to be the referee when there's a ref bump. Um, Garvin, has, Garvin has Flair pinned twice, um, but there's no ref to counter. Uh, Senior referee Tommy Young seems to have this happen to him more and more. If I was uh, if I was Jim Crockett or like the head of the referees council, I'd be hauling Tommy Young into a meeting and saying, "Look, Tommy, you know every major match we give you, th- this seems to happen. You get knocked out. You don't see what happen- You don't see what goes on." Like, <laughs> yeah, really. It's like do your job, man, or we're gonna get somebody else in there. This is this is getting old. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if uh, Pee Wee Anderson was. Uh... <laughs> Randy, don't call me Pee Wee Anderson, was watching this and thinking, look, this should be me. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess Earl Hebner's gone by now. He's up in, uh, he, I believe he's up north by now. But uh, did you ever see what happened to Tommy Young years later? No. I, so I, don't if, know if you, I won't mention it here, but it's nothing like end of the world. But it's his refereeing career came to a crashing halt. Uh, on a regular match on television involving Tommy Rich, and I don't remember who he's wrestling, but one of them makes a wrong move, runs into Tommy Young, and he takes a nasty fall and ends up getting seriously injured and done right right that that moment. I believe it's in 
89, 90, somewhere in there. He takes a nasty, nasty hit. Um, look it up and take a take a take a look at it. I don't know exactly what gets injured off the top of my head, but he takes a nasty fall. I did always wonder where he disappeared to by the time we get to the 90s. Cause he did- yeah, he takes a, it's a bad injury. It's a neck or a shore somewhere in there. I don't remember off the top of my head where it is, but it, it's worth looking up. He's um, He is like very unusual looking for a ref. Like He's kind of like tall and gangly, and he always seems to be like the most physical of the refs. Um, yeah, I like him. He, he does the best jump over and then slide down to do the count. I, I think he was the best at that. Yeah, that, that's kind of like his trademark move, the, the jump. Uh, he kind of like jumps over and down. It's pretty cool. Yeah, he was. He, if I would rate referee, Tommy Young would be in my top five. Now, um, f- f- David Crockett is pr- getting pretty psyched around this time. Uh, when Garvin is pinning uh, Flair, he actually counts all the way up to seven. Um, even uh, even after Garvin's got up, David just carries on. He just gets carried away here and carries on counting to seven. Um, Flair gets the pin, but Garvin's foot is on the rope, and um, David Crockett is just losing his shit. He's shouting, Tommy, Tommy, foot is on the rope. Um, and Flair even goes down and confronts Crockett and just tells him to shut up, and Crockett comes back saying, oh, yeah. but his foot was on the rope, and I've just said this is... Classic, basically, classic uh, David Crockett action here. <laughs> Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, had him there. Had him there for the count. Come on, Tommy, get in the ring. Watch out. Watch out. Here he goes. Watch out. Here goes the champion. Turn around, Ron. Well, it was too late. Rick goes down. Desperation pin. Hey, Tommy. His foot was on Tommy's. the rope. His foot was on the rope. What are you doing? Tommy Young. Tommy. His foot was on the rope. Shut up. What do you mean his foot was on the rope? David Crockett's finest moment for me will come up. Uh, when we get into the Great American Bash and uh, into Tully Blanchard's feud and what leads to the matches he has that at the Great American Bash that summer, there's a match on television that Tully has that David Crockett just absolutely loses his mind on. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get there. It's a match that ended up happening in May. But it's it's David Crockett. When I think of David Crockett, it's the moment that happened this coming spring. It's really, really good. So, David Crockett aside, um, this match was pretty good, I thought. Um, yeah, it's Flair and Garvin. I have never, ever seen them have a bad match. Yeah, not a lot of wrestling moves or anything, but just a lot of stiff kind of punches and chops and uh, just hate, really. You know, the one other thing I did want to mention is we, we always mention, you see it in so many matches, you know, the face has the heel down for like an eight or nine count. And even as a kid, you know, believing this was real at eight, nine years old, even then I thought to myself, what are they making a big deal over if he's not hearing the hand hitting the mat, why kick out? Like, lay there, get take a rest. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're I, not hearing those hands at that mat, so what do you care how long you lay there for? I, I always thought that, um, when, like, I always thought that when it's like a, a, a wily, clever heel, like uh, like Flair, like Flair was kind of like always put over as being the best kind of smart champion. So. Oh. It, yeah, yeah. it doesn't like he knows the ref is out, so he can lay there all day long. 
right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, for years, they still pull that today. And it's, I, I'm just like, well, like I said, they're not counting. So they'll kick up. They're not, there's no reason to kick up. So shut up. Yeah. But what you're saying, like, you know, do people actually think that that is, you know, the Garvin hand flare beat there? Basically. Yeah, you know, you hear those people screaming and yelling and like they walk out of the place that night like, you know, damn it, Ronnie Garvin had him beat. He should be the champion right now. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was a pretty nice little uh, look at kind of what was going on in early 1986. Um, would they do any of these kind of superstar shows again? They would. There, there would be a uh, show called Super Towns on the Superstation, which I believe is not till 87. They would have a couple of those. Um, but after this, what you do start seeing a lot on the syndicated shows being Mid-Atlantic, Pro, or Worldwide through the rest of 86, is a lot of competitive matches would come up. Um, not every week, but you'd get them quite, quite a bit. You know, your Dusty versus Tully, um, Flair being a competitive match. There'd be great tag team matches, mid-Atlantic championship matches, television title matches. So, excuse me. If you, if you look through what happens after this, they do start showing a lot more good wrestling on television throughout the rest of this year. And I'm biased because 1986 is my favorite year of wrestling. So, uh, a lot of it may be my bias side, but there there was a lot of good wrestling the rest of this year. So are you saying there was kind of less jobber jobber action happening around this time? You'll, you'll get your jobber matches, but, you know, you probably once a month guaranteed a, you know, quote-unquote main event match. Yeah. You know, a match where when they get in the ring, you're not sure he's going to win. Kind of thing. It's really, really good. I mean, Tully and Ronnie Garvin, you have Tully and Wahoo, and... Uh, there, there's just a lot of Nikita and Magnum. Um, there, there's a show that we'll get to a little bit later. Probably we'll probably talk about it after the bash. That's in the summer of '86, where the whole show, top to bottom, is probably the best hour of television for a one-hour show that's ever been on. Wow! I mean, it, it's got a tag team title match. I mean, it's got on it just to kind of give you the rock and roll and midnights for the tag belts. Um, Magnum and Nikita for the U.S. title. And then basically the second half of Dusty and Flair for the NWA title. I mean, you get all that in a one-hour show. It's incredible. I believe it's the August twenty-third, nineteen eighty-six Worldwide show. It's probably, like I said, it's the best hour of television I say ever. But so as you like, so this kind of kicks that off of really good wrestling after that for the year. And uh, okay, shall we? Uh, shall we? I mean, I, I don't know if it's worth it with just four. Uh, we'll just for <laughs> okay let, let's do it let's do our end of show awards for superstars and the superstation so uh, match of the night <laughs> the tag title match for me was match of the night um a lot of that again i keep going back to i stand for 86 but i love the rock and roll express as a kid and no matter how old you get those things that you had a lot of passion for as a kid are going to stick with you so you know, rock and rolls and midnights for me. That that's definitely my match of the night. I I think for me it's the uh, it's the Garvin match, uh, Garvin uh, Flair. D- d- just because I've seen much better midnight versus rock and roll matches. Sure, sure, sure. So okay, and then we've got MVP. 
the MVP for the night, yeah, this is a really, really tough one. It's, you know, I was going to go with Linda Curry, but uh, um, it's really, really tough. For, for me, MVP would have been, well, who's yours? I'm trying to, I've got it down between two guys. Let me see here. You, um, you could probably take a guess at mine. It's definitely David Crockett. I can't get enough of the guy. <laughs> it's funny you said that because he was actually one of my two. It was actually between him and actually Tully, just because uh, you know Tully does a Tully does a good job keeping heat on himself. And, and just for fun here, I'm going to pick Tully just because he he does a good job of taking what was a big feud and by jumping Dusty afterwards, really kicking it into gear. So I, I think definitely Tully Blanchard took the the the, the second biggest main event storyline they had going and kind of put it into another gear on this show. So I'll definitely go with Tully. And maybe some strong competition here. Uh, least valuable player. Billy Graham. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. The, uh, it's, no, it's no longer called the least uh, valuable player award. It's the, uh, it's the Billy Graham award. The Billy Graham that. award. I, w- I would definitely give the Billy Graham award to... Oof, I mean, like I said, there was so much. It's just such a good show, top to bottom. Um, if I have to give it to anybody on this show, I think I'm going to probably give it to Bob Cottle, just because he was he was terrible backstage. <laughs> he did nothing. I mean, there was really no point in being there. I can't pick anybody in the ring because nobody was that bad, at least for me. But I'm going to go with Bob Cottle. I, I think that Cottle is some very strong competition in the form of Linda Curry. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> How could I forget Linda Perry already? Also, I just talked about her a minute ago. Also, Baron Von Reschke, just for looking so out of place. Uh, so, for me, it's between Von Reschke and Curry. Uh, yeah, you know what? Now you said that, I again, it's for, what I talked about five minutes ago, I forget. I'm changing mine. It's definitely Linda Curry. I mean, clueless <laughs> and just her comments added zero to this show. Yeah, yeah. definitely Linda Curry. Zero star power as well. Maybe between now and the next show, I'll try to find out who the hell she is. But uh, you both. I'm actually gonna, you know, I'm actually gonna sit down tonight and try to find who the hell this lady was because I have no idea. And like I said, you figure after three pages of a Google search, she'd show up. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, um, yeah, I'm gonna also go for Linda Curry. Although Baron von Reschke for me is hot. Is running it close just because for me I don't don't understand what he's doing there. Like he, I can understand him coming in in a feud with someone like Boogie Woogie Man or you know somebody else. But when, when you're when you're dealing with the Row Warriors, you know you need to bring in somebody who's a legitimate threat. There's no, no I can't see where that's going to go. You know, I, I don't yeah, understand. He- he knew their weaknesses from the AWA run. That's what I'm going with for Baron. <laughs> yeah, n- n- nice. <laughs> even, even though they never mentioned other federations back then. But, all right. Well, for next time, we may be going into the Crockett Cup, um, but much more likely we're going to be doing a Great, Aba- Great American Bash um, 1986. And I, if you are listening to this, like from, you know, if you've come in from iTunes, and just want to kind of uh, get in touch with us, probably the best uh, thing to do is register to uh, Pro Wrestling Only. Just do a Google search for it. It'll come up straight away. And um, they're, they're pretty, in my view, probably the best wrestling forums uh, around. And you'll, you'll see, you know, the uh, where the big boys play thread there. So you can just uh, post right in there. Yeah, and if there's any, you know, sideshows that... Uh 
anybody would love to hear um, AWA shows, hint, hint, uh, anything like that or, or something else, you know, let us know as well, because uh, as much as I love going through, you know, the WCW all the way through, taking a few forks in the road here and there, I mean, it could happen. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, I still have all that AWA to watch, so um, d- definitely yeah, once uh, Chad and I have got in more into that, we'll uh, we'll do an AWA thing. And uh, um, I, I am loving the fact that you know a lot of people that that don't love the AWA are really going to love it after they watch through most of that set. And I, I just, I, I, I've said it a million times, I love the AWA. I always did. So it's it's great to see it getting a lot of love these days. And just before we close out here, I just need to give a quick mention to uh, Matt Pedicord, uh, who's listed us on his site there. Um, I think it's called the Power Driver Review. Um, I've I've read that guy's reviews for some time. Uh, he he kind of like does the the Scott Key thing. Um, yes. And uh, but yeah, he he is one uh, guy who's probably watched. Uh, you know, he's gone through every single NWA show reviewing them and uh, you know giving his thoughts and comments and I spent many an hour reading his reviews so I thought I'd give him a shout out there and uh, definitely yeah he, he definitely really really good really good reviews yeah so if you go to PDR we're, we're, we're now listed there on the on the left hand side of, of, of a friend of his alright Brian well, well, well thanks a lot hey you never have to thank me for going through this stuff this is this is the easiest 90 minutes of my life uh, all right, well, uh, I'll leave it to Jim Ross to say goodbye. Goodbye. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>